Welcome. My name is Caleb, and you are listening to the Vitamin C Podcast. All right, guys. I don't really know where to start here. So I just saw the new movie Shazam! Fury of the Gods yesterday. I got a chance to see it in IMAX, and by I got a chance, I mean I saw it in IMAX. I'm not acting like this is some privilege that I got to see it in IMAX, because if you see the movie, you'll understand. It's not one that demands to be seen on the biggest screen in the most premium format. But that is how I saw it nonetheless. So Shazam! Fury of the Gods is a sequel to the first film, Shazam!, which was one that got overwhelming praise from the critics and largely from the general audience. And it was one that I was excited to see because I think Shazam is a cool character and I like Zachary Levi, or at least at the time I did because he was on the show Chuck, which was a show that I really liked. Not too many people have heard of it, but I really liked that show. Anyway, I went to see that movie with my brothers, and we also took our cousin with us, and we had a good time. I mean, there were some good laughs for us, and it was enjoyable enough, but I walked away feeling a little bit let down, where I said, you know, it wasn't that good. I thought it was okay, but I didn't think it was great, and when you're hearing that a movie is great and you go in and it's okay, you feel pretty let down. And then I rewatched it a second time in theaters, and again, I felt kind of underwhelmed where I said, yeah, this is okay, but that's about it. It's just okay. And I was a little disappointed by that because I had pretty high hopes. I thought Shazam was such a cool character and that they could do something really cool and unique with that movie. And I think my biggest problem with the first Shazam is that it starts off pretty well. But the third act could have been so much cooler than what it was. And yeah, they were limited by their budget. But at the same time, it just felt so underwhelming. But now this movie. So I'm not going to get too deep into the plot. It's a superhero movie plot, so it's not going too deep. I'll just say the villains in this movie are the daughters of Atlas, which for those unfamiliar, those would be the daughters of the Greek god Atlas. And they are on a mission to reclaim a power that was once stolen from them. So in the first movie, the villain, Dr. Savannah, uses this staff, which was originally the staff of the wizard that gives Billy the powers, who then turns into dust literally seconds after he gives Billy the powers of Shazam. But Dr. Savannah gets his hands on this staff in the first movie and is doing all kinds of junk with it. But in the third act, Billy gets it and uses it to give the Shazam powers to all of his foster siblings, where they are now the Shazam family, and then he snaps the staff in half, which it turns out that staff had certain magical properties that were preventing the daughters of Atlas and probably other things from entering the Earth realm. So because he broke that, they were able to enter the Earth realm, and not just that, get their hands on this staff and repair it, thus restoring powers that they had before, because this is already getting a little convoluted, and it's mostly just due to how I'm explaining it. I think it does a decent job explaining it in the movie, but basically this staff originally held the powers of the gods, and then the wizards got a hold of it and used it to put a spell on the earth realm to protect it from people like the daughters of Atlas, so they couldn't enter 
and do anything. That was my basic understanding of it. And like I said, I think it explains it better in the movie. I understood it perfectly fine in the moment. But the weird thing about this movie is that it's coming out at a time where the DC universe is in flux, where nobody knows exactly what is going on with this universe. Because there was the Zack Snyder universe, and then there was the Hamadaverse, which some people will say did not exist. But sure enough, there was a universe in between the Snyderverse and whatever they're about to do right now, where there was the producer Walter Hamada in charge, and he produced a handful of movies and had a handful of movies set up to release. And now James Gunn is the new guy in charge, and he has masterfully manipulated people online where somehow anything people don't like is something that he had no control over. It happened before he took over. And somehow anything people do like is something that, yes, he did have a hand in. He gave a few studio notes, what have you. And I'll talk more about that later. But there are some that are just comical, some lies that are just comical. But people eat it up because they like the filmmaker. And hey, that's fine if you like the guy. But sometimes these studio executives, even if they were formerly a director you really liked, sometimes they are just completely full of it, guys. And they have to be for their job at times to keep people in the dark on things they want to keep them in the dark on. But also just because due to professional rules, you don't always want to throw people under the bus or take credit for stuff that is not yours or even take credit for stuff that is yours that would make the brand look bad. Regardless, most people think this Shazam movie is kind of the last hurrah for pretty much everybody involved, because the first Shazam really didn't do great at the box office. It did okay based on its budget, but it didn't really blow the doors off at the box office, and this one is projected to perform even worse than the first movie which the first one did a little better than breaking even. It made a good profit, but not a great profit. It made like 300 something million on a budget of about 100 million, which is decent money. It's just not really lining anyone's pockets with cash. And this one on a similar budget, I imagine it was slightly higher, but it's projecting to do maybe 50 to 100 million worse, which is never a good thing for a sequel. Anyway, I watched this movie and made a lot of notes on it because I was going in with lower expectations just because I didn't really love the first movie. And so even if this one had good reviews, I wasn't really going to believe them the same as I did the first time around. And also, I'm kind of going in saying this movie is a movie that really leads nowhere. Like anything they set up in this movie is probably not going to happen, which, hey, look, A lot of movies are good on their own. They are good as standalone films where it doesn't matter whether or not they get sequels. But because of the whole leadership change at DC being so recent and Meesing talks about that every day, it's kind of impossible not to think about while watching some of these movies. But with this film, I ended up enjoying it a lot more than I thought I would. I thought it was okay. I don't know if I enjoyed it as much as the first or more than the first. I'm not really sure yet. I don't think I'm going to rewatch this one in theaters. I think I'm fine where I'm at, where I enjoyed it enough. I didn't hate it. There are some things that I thought were weird that I did not like, and I will talk about those things. 
and I will probably get into spoilers at the very end. Not that anyone on Earth is worried about Shazam spoilers based on the projected box office of this movie. I don't think anybody is really that curious, but I will still give a warning and separate the spoiler section from everything else. But I made a bunch of notes, and I did them in a non-linear order. So if it feels like I'm completely jumping around and that my thoughts are all jumbled, it's because I am jumping around and my thoughts are jumbled. One thing I made note of, random sweat. Yeah, that was weird. Randomly, in quite a few shots in this movie, there will be a character just drenched in sweat. And like, background actors, mind you. Like at one part, Billy is at the steak shack. I think it's where he's at, but he's about to have a sandwich. And there's some guy in the background who has this huge sweat stain in the middle of his back walking by. Like, seriously? And then later in the movie, I see a guy with a huge sweat stain around his collar. And then another guy later had a huge sweat stain right around his stomach. And I thought, there is no way it was that hot when they were shooting this movie that these people were that sweaty. It feels intentional. But at the same time, usually you wouldn't want people's big sweat stains showing on screen. I thought that was odd because it's like random extras in the background most scenes. And I think one scene, it's their foster dad. I thought, what's with all the sweat? You couldn't take that out in post? I guess they don't have the budget for it. I also made note that there was more Adam Brody in this movie at first, but in the end, really not enough for me. So Adam Brody plays the superhero version of Jack Dylan Grazer's character. Which I guess I should quickly explain for those who have not seen Shazam. The concept is that they're kids, but they say the magical word Shazam and they turn into these grown adult superheroes. So Asher Angel plays Billy Batson, who turns into Zachary Levi. Jack Dylan Grazer plays Freddie Freeman, who turns into Adam Brody. Ian Chen plays Eugene Choi, who turns into Ross Butler. Jovan Armand plays Pedro Pena who turns into DJ Catrona, who interestingly is not Mexican, but he is the adult superhero version of the Mexican character, which is kind of funny. Maybe not funny is the word, but it's uh, a little incongruent, we'll say that. Then Faith Herman plays Darla Dudley, who turns into Megan Good. Grace Caroline Curry plays Mary Bromfield, who turns into Grace Caroline Curry. So... Originally, they had an actress that she turned into. Then a lot of people are like, why does she have an actress she turns into when she's already an adult? And then the actress that she turned into from the first movie was like posting a bunch of anti-vax stuff or something on Instagram. And so I think they said, yeah, we'll just have Grace Caroline Curry turn into Grace Caroline Curry. We think that works. Which they don't wear masks or anything. So she's definitely not in disguise at all. But I guess it's fine. Not enough people really know her for it to count. I would definitely recognize her. I mean, if I went to school with her or anything like that, I would definitely recognize her, but I guess most people do not. Speaking of this, I had a friend who had shared a picture of Grace Caroline Curry and Megan Good in their superhero costumes, and he said, yeah, I'm watching Shazam 2 for the plot. And there were a bunch of people replying like, uh, one of these is literally a minor and I'm not even kidding. They were so serious about it because they're like, uh, Megan Good is eight years old in this movie. And the thing is, no, 
Megan Good is Megan Good. She's 40. Okay? There is a 8 to 10-year-old girl in this film that turns into Megan Good. But the fact is, when you are looking at a picture of Megan Good in her Shazam suit, that's not an 8-year-old. That is a 40-year-old named Megan Good. So there is absolutely nothing weird about that. And it's actually borderline weird that you're trying to make it weird. But yeah, my friend, he was getting his ass beat in the quote tweets and in the replies on that. And I didn't defend him because I was like, hey, look, I don't think you did anything wrong. I don't think you said anything wrong, but I'll let you take the lashings for this one regardless. I mean, why is this my battle of the fight all of a sudden? What, just because we're friends? Hey, I didn't tweet it. I'm very careful about that kind of stuff where I say, well, some people are dumb and they'll misinterpret this and so I'm not going to say anything. But hey, he survived, so it's all good. But back to the superhero versions of these characters, specifically Adam Brody. Yes, I'm a big fan of Adam Brody and he was in this movie a lot more at first, which I was a fan of. And then he ended up not being in it at all in the second half of the movie. So yeah, there's that. I did note, though, that Jack Doan Grazer remains the funniest character in this movie, and I think that was the case in the first movie as well, so less Adam Brody meant more Jack Doan Grazer, which there wasn't a ton of Adam Brody in the first movie either. He's only in the last 10 minutes, but I was hoping we'd get more of him in this movie, seeing as we got almost exclusively Zachary Levi, and I think we should have had more Asher Angel as Billy Batson. There are just a lot of times where He is Zachary Levi for no reason, hanging out with his siblings, talking to his siblings in their superhero lair, the Rock of Eternity. And actually, they're kind of all in their superhero forms. And I'm thinking, really? You don't just want to hang out as siblings? Because you're just sitting around. What's the point in sitting around in your superhero costumes? But I guess they had bills to pay to those playing the superhero versions of these characters. I don't know. I think the kid actors are a little bit more entertaining at times, so it would have been nice to have a little more of them together, but I guess they have to keep it balanced as much as they can. Not sure. But I think Jack Dylan Grazer is the funniest kid here, and I thought that was the case in the first movie as well, so more screen time for him was not a bad thing. I think he has plenty funny in this film, and he also meets a girl named Anne at school, which will play a big role in the plot, played by Rachel Zegler. And you might be thinking, who's Rachel Zegler? Well, glad you asked. She is a fairly new actress, but she was in the movie West Side Story. Steven Spielberg and Ansel Elgort spent a ton of time hanging around high school girls so they could find the right one to play the role of Maria in West Side Story, which the more you know about Ansel Elgort, the worse that story actually sounds, that they were going from high school event to high school event to try and scout out these girls and different plays. But eventually they found Rachel Zegler. And sure enough, she is a fantastic talent. She did a great job in West Side Story. And I enjoy her in this movie. And honestly, funny enough, her and Jack Dylan Grazer, I wouldn't think they would have good chemistry, but I kind of thought they were funny together. I enjoyed their scenes together. Their relationship was one of the more enjoyable points in this movie for me. Another note I made, I said, why is Digimon Hunso in this? So yeah, Digimon Hunso, he plays the wizard in the first Shazam movie who you think dies, but it turns out he's not dead, that he was just passing away from the Earth realm 
that that's what happens when you give up your powers and your time is up in whatever realm. I don't know. He just disintegrated and I guess he's fine now. He's wearing like a towel and stuff the whole movie. Whatever the old timey stuff is that they wore in Greece. Was it a toga? I think that's what they call it. But the reason I made that note is because I don't really know what purpose he serves in this movie. Like he runs around with the kids and is like, no, this is happening because of this. Or no, this character did this because of this. Or this happened because of this. But really, he doesn't even add that much to the exposition. Like I would say he's only there for exposition dumps. But even then, he doesn't really add a whole lot. I feel like there are other characters that could have filled that role. Like, there's a magical pen in this movie that kind of fills them in on all the details that they need. Basically, you tell the pen to write something and it'll write it, or you tell it to answer a question and it'll write down the answer to the question. And it does make for a couple funny scenes that I'm sure some people won't like because they're a little too silly. They make the superheroes look a little dumb, but they did make for some decent laughs. I cannot lie. Like, this thing is a magical pen, so it has the ability to write and then send these letters. And at one point, they send a letter to the daughters of Atlas. And when they're reading it out loud, it is just kind of funny. In my opinion, it was a funny gag. Next, I may note that the I Need a Hero scene wasn't great, but I do love the song. Yeah, sure enough, there is a montage scene where they are saving people because the Ben Franklin Bridge is collapsing. And so the Shazam family, this is at the beginning of the movie, they're flying all around trying to save everyone, and it's playing I Need a Hero, and I didn't think the scene was shot that well, but hearing that song blasting in IMAX, I kind of had to like it. Like, the scene overall works because I like the song. I kind of have this rule where I can't hate a movie that has that song blasting. Usually every movie that has that song kind of bangs. I can only think of two, and that's Shrek 2 and Bullet Train, and I think that needle drop goes hard in both movies. I won't say it went hard in this one, because the scene itself was kind of eh, but I do like the song, so it makes the scene okay. Next up, I noted, they keep talking about Dome. I won't say anything more. Then I said, some of the creature designs were good, but the VFX was not always great. And yeah, some of the monster designs are kind of neat. But the visual effects in this movie, they just did not give them the budget that they needed, I think. For the most part, they make it work, but there is a lot of really bad VFX in this movie that it's kind of distracting. Like, there is a character that is riding a dragon during the third act, and every time it cuts to them on the dragon, it is so obvious they are not sitting on a dragon and that the sky behind them was a green screen skyline. It just looks really bad. And there's a scene at the very end of the movie that I'll talk about more in my spoiler section where, again, it did not look like they were in the place that they were supposed to be in. It looked like a pretty obvious green screen background. And some of these monsters at times looked okay, but for the most part, they kind of looked like they were out of place. Like the lighting wasn't quite right, that they weren't in the same environment that they shot the scenes in. And I don't want to blame the director for that because I think David Sandberg is a decent director, but I also think he may not be fully equipped to shoot that type of stuff. I don't know. It could just be that they didn't have the budget to make it look better, but I was just talking about the movie 65 the other day where I said, hey, they only had like a 45 million budget, but largely it looked really good. 
I can't really say the same for this movie, which reportedly had at least double the budget of the movie 65. One thing I did note is that I appreciate David Sandberg for being willing to show civilians die, even if it's just one death followed by 20 minutes of people running around and screaming. So yeah, that's something you don't find too often in these comic book movies. They're so afraid to have any consequential stuff shown on screen because if a character dies in a movie, people will immediately say, oh, this superhero killed that guy. Like, wait, where'd you get that? Like in Man of Steel, I see people talk about, they're like, oh yeah, Superman slaughters innocent civilians, and he doesn't. They're just civilians that die because the world's ending. But because they die and Superman doesn't save them, people are like, oh man, Superman's a murderer. He kills a bunch of civilians. Uh, he actually doesn't at all. There's a huge difference between killing and not saving, and we're not talking the Batman Begins bullshit of, I won't kill you, but I don't have to save you, Travis Scott, Batman kind of stuff. I'm talking like, yeah, he was there, but he didn't have a shot at saving this person, you know? But yeah, in the first Shazam movie, there are quite a few scenes where civilians die. And then in the third act, nobody dies. It's just civilians running around being chased by monsters. And somehow you don't see a single civilian die during the third act. And I thought, well, that's weird. The third act of Shazam is kind of the anti-Man of Steel, where instead of being big, epic, and world-ending, it's really small-scale, where you would think a bunch of people should die, but nobody dies. And speaking of nobody dying, in the first Shazam movie, he drops Dr. Savannah like 80 stories, and then catches him by his coat a foot from the ground. I thought, okay, gravity? Have you heard of it? You think you could catch a guy by his coat after him falling like... I don't know, a few hundred feet, and both the coat and the guy are going to be fine? Come on, dude. What are we doing here? And that happens again in this movie, where Steph will be falling from insane heights, and it gets caught, and it's fine. There's like no damage. Like a guy catches a car that falls off a bridge right before it hits the water, and there's no damage to the car. He just catches the car. It's like, are you serious? It's one thing if you slowly catch it, which they did that in Man of Steel and Batman v Superman, by the way. I hate to always cite those movies, but when it comes to superheroes trying to follow the laws of physics, they do a pretty good job of that in those movies because they want them to feel as real world as possible, despite being about these big, epic super beings, which I appreciate that. But there's another part where somebody is falling from the sky and they have been falling for well over 100 feet. And Billy flies in from underneath them at full speed and catches them. And I'm saying he doesn't fly in from the side. He doesn't fly in from the top. He flies from straight up like a freaking rocket to catch them. And I said, they should be dead. One, Shazam is super strong. Two, Shazam is super fast. Three, he was flying at top speed. And four, she was free falling at top speed. She's dead. But no, he saved her. Way to go. Like, come on, dude. And you can't say, oh, it's a kid's movie. You're overthinking it. Is it a kid's movie? There's a lot of language in this movie, and there are people that die. And it actually shows it. It's not the Marvel stuff where it's like, oh, somebody's about to die, but then superhero steps in front, and then all the civilians run away, and you don't see civilians for the remainder of the movie or the remainder of the battle. 
then all of a sudden they come out of their safe hiding spaces immediately after the battle ends. You know, they they don't do that as much in this movie. You'll actually see civilians die. And some in ways where I said, oh man, hope that doesn't scare the kids that are watching. Also, the little girl says the F word at one part in this movie. It cuts it off, but she says mother f- and then it cuts off. And it's kind of played for laughs, but I don't know, that type of humor is just never funny to me, where it's, oh, this character who shouldn't be swearing is about to swear. It's just never been that funny to me. Like in the first movie, they had Santa Claus dropping the F-bomb a million times, and it's all bleeped out because it's on TV. That's another thing that bothers me. I'm like, why does the local news have a guy dropping the F-bomb a million times? Even if they bleep it out, they would never air that segment ever on any local news channel if it's just a guy saying a million F-bombs. It doesn't matter that it's bleeped out. They would not play that on any local news station. Not even in Montana, where nothing happens and nobody would be watching anyway, so there'd be nobody to offend. They wouldn't even play it there. Wouldn't freaking happen. I also noted that these movies would be a lot more bankable if the studio just had more faith in them. And what I mean by that is that the first movie, although it references all the other DC movies, it feels so disconnected from the other DC movies. Like, yeah, they reference Batman, they reference Superman and all of that, but they have a headless Superman cameo at the end of the first Shazam movie. They didn't even get Henry Cavill for the role. And some people say, oh, well, it's a contract dispute. Oh, well, it's because they want Cavill back. Whatever, dude. You should have been willing to pay whatever Cavill wanted just to have him in that cameo if the cameo was going to happen. The headless Superman one was just a little bit silly. If you haven't seen it, basically Superman walks in and the camera just has his head cut off. So it was just a random guy in a Superman costume, but you're supposed to believe that it's Superman. And then it cuts to credits. And then, early in this movie, there is a shirtless... No, not shirtless. A topless... No, not that either. A, a headless Wonder Woman cameo. The other ones are a lot more interesting. That would be the studio having faith in this movie where I'd say, damn, dude. <laughs> All right, I guess I'm there. I'm seeing that in IMAX, 3D, Dolby Vision, whatever you guys got. But no, a headless Wonder Woman cameo. And it turns out to be a dream from Shazam but it was one that felt really awkward. And then when it finally cuts to Wonder Woman's face, they have Digimon Hunso's head on Wonder Woman's body. And he's yelling at Billy Batson over something. And it's played for laughs, sure, funny. I thought, will the studio just throw them a bone? I'm thinking of this scene in Deadpool 2 where Deadpool's at the X-Mansion and it's completely empty. And he's saying to Colossus, why is there nobody here? Where are all the X-Men? He goes, well, the studio just throws a bone. Just give us. And he starts naming off a few superheroes. And it's because in the first movie, none of the X-Men were in it. There was just Colossus and Negasonic, Teenage Warhead, whatever her name is. And that was the case in Deadpool 2. But while he's giving this rant, he has his back to this door. And you see behind him, there are all the young X-Men. It's like Evan Peters, Quicksilver. James McAvoy's Professor Xavier. I think they have Ty Sheridan Cyclops there. They have Beast there. And Quicksilver just walks up behind him and shuts the door. But as well, Deadpool's like, will the studio just throw us a bone here? (laughs) Which I thought was a funny joke. But yeah, in this movie, I was like, oh boy, headless Wonder Woman cameo, just like the headless Superman. And I will talk more about that in my spoiler section. But yeah... There were just things where I said, if the studio was willing to give this movie an extra 50 million of budget just to 
make the action set pieces a little bit bigger, to make the VFX that much sharper, I think these movies would have been more bankable. It definitely feels like this movie is proud to be in the DC universe, but the DC universe is not entirely proud of this movie. It feels oddly disconnected, even though it's supposed to exist in the same continuity as the rest of the universe. Now, it doesn't really match up in tone either. It's a little bit too goofy. Just about every single human civilian acts so cartoony in this movie. The only DC movie that's even similar to that would be probably Joss Whedon's Justice League in 2017, where it just feels like every character is a caricature of a regular person. And that bothers me. They kind of do that in Marvel too, but I think it works better for them because the tone is consistent across the universe. But on this, it kind of just feels weird because it's like this is supposed to exist in the same universe as Batman v Superman, as the 2017 Wonder Woman, even as Aquaman, which is... Although cheesy, it takes itself a bit more seriously at most points. But I truly believe that they were willing to put more money into these movies that they would probably have made more money. I just feel like they weren't entirely sold on the concept of these films. I also think that these films probably could have used, or at least this one, could have used another six months of rewrites where they could have tightened the script up a little bit more because. Largely, it's not bad. I don't think it's poorly written, but I also don't think it is the tightest script that they probably could have trimmed a few minutes here and there and maybe shot a couple scenes differently where overall the movie would have worked much better. One specific thing is that there is a storyline that I feel is not properly fleshed out where Billy calls his foster mom by her name at the beginning of the movie. He doesn't call her mom. Everyone else says, bye mom, but he calls her by her name. And you can tell that kind of hurts her. But really, there's nothing else to that until the very end of the movie when there's about to be a big emotional moment and he says something to the effect of, I love you, mom. And I thought, that's a nice emotional moment, but I feel like there needed to be one more thing before this. Like all there was was that one moment at the very beginning of the movie I feel like there needed to be one more moment before this one. You know, it's kind of like, give me two so that the one lands or there needs to be one really impactful one for the other one to land. But instead, there's just one moment early on and then one moment late in the movie. I feel like there could have been another one mixed in the middle. And maybe there was and I missed it, but I don't remember it. Another note I made was that this movie was a two hour Skittles commercial. I won't say anything more about that because then I'm getting into spoiler territory. I also noted that David Sandberg has a cameo in this movie and that was cool. I like David Sandberg. Honestly, even though I don't love these Shazam movies overall, I like him as a person and as a director. He seems like a cool guy who really was just trying to make fun movies for the general audience. The last non-spoiler thought I will share is that I was not a fan of the villains in this movie. Not that they're bad performances. The villains are played by Helen Mirren and Lucy Liu. They do a decent job, but my issue is just that Shazam has villains. And the Daughters of Atlas are made up villains. They are not in the Shazam comics. They made up these villains specifically for this movie. And I said, you've only used one Shazam villain, and that was Dr. Savannah in the first film. You couldn't use another existing Shazam villain in the second film? I thought that was just a strange decision. 
But now we're getting into the spoiler territory. So if you do not want Shazam spoiled to you, (laughs) it's just a funny idea to me. But if you don't want Shazam spoiled to you, then I would just tune out now and know that I will be back with another episode later this week. But for those who want to stick it out, here are some of my other thoughts. So I'll just get right to it. There is a scene at the very end of this movie that has a cameo. A big cameo, which they spoiled in a trailer. So technically, it's not really a spoiler because they show her in the trailer. But not everyone sees every single TV spot and ad, which is why I saved this for the spoiler section. But yes, Wonder Woman actually does pop up in this movie at the very end of the movie. And it's at a very emotional moment. Some character has died. But long story short, they have lost the powers of Shazam. And the wizard explains that there's no way to get the powers back because the staff is destroyed and only a god can repair it. And he said there are no gods left. And then Wonder Woman walks in and starts blaring her score. I'm saying blaring because I've never heard a score so loud during such a non-epic moment. Because that is blasting and she's walking out like she's on a freaking catwalk. Like she's a runway model. Which to be fair, she is very beautiful. But at the same time, I thought, huh, why is this score playing? Because this should be like a hopeful moment in the movie and not a super badass moment. Because there was just a really emotional moment where a character died. This is just a few minutes later where they are mourning the loss of this character. And here she comes in trying to serve while they're playing her music at full volume. And her music, it's like a battle song, you know? I like her theme. It's a pretty awesome theme. Hans Zimmer, Junkie XL, they did a great job on it. But it doesn't really fit that particular moment. And so that was very strange. And then immediately after all this happens, Billy Batson then starts to hit on Wonder Woman because... They just got to do it, I guess, have Wonder Woman be objectified in some way or another. And to be fair, hey, he's like 17 going on 18, and it's Gal Gadot. Like, let's be real, he's completely within reason as a teenager being attracted to Wonder Woman. There's nothing wrong with that. But the thing is, they made jokes like that in Justice League in 2017, where it's, oh, Wonder Woman's hot is the joke. They actually kind of had a couple jokes like that. And then there's supposed to be a joke like that in the new Flash movie. So it's like, okay, can we find a new joke here other than Wonder Woman's hot? Whatever, though. I just thought it was a weird scene. It also looked like nobody was in the location that they shot this scene. And I saw somebody who shared it said Dawn of the Seven-ass movie, which Dawn of the Seven was on the TV series The Boys. It was this fictional movie that was being made. And it was kind of to parody... A lot of superhero movies, both the Marvel movies and the DC movies, obviously is titled something similar to one of the Zack Snyder DC movies. But when they're shooting the movie, there's also a joke about Joss Whedon rewrites in the movie. So I thought that was kind of funny. But yeah, they show scenes of the Dawn of the Seven film in The Boys, and it's always just way over the top and silly. And so someone had shared that scene with Wonder Woman and said, Dawn of the Seven-Ass movie scene, (laughs) which I thought was pretty accurate. The other spoiler I'll get to is one that, I don't know, may not matter. But Amelia Harcourt, who is played by Jennifer Holland, which is James Gunn's wife, 
girlfriend. I don't think they're married. I think it's his girlfriend, but they've been dating and living together for a very long time. Outside of her James Gunn movies, she is best known for American Pie and Zombie Strippers. Otherwise, every single project she has appeared in was a James Gunn produced or directed project outside of Black Adam, where she plays the character from James Gunn's DC movies and series. And then she's in this movie again, playing Amelia Harcourt, who is the character from James Gunn's TV series Peacemaker, his movie The Suicide Squad. But James Gunn on Twitter said, I had nothing to do with her being cast in this movie. Like, oh, really? Nothing to do with it at all. It was this post credit scene that they could have shot two months ago. But James Gunn was like, yeah, this movie was shot way before I was in charge, even though he had a tweet talking about Shazam, Aquaman, The Flash, and whatever else was releasing this year, where he had said that he had a hand in every movie because he gave studio notes on all of them. But now he's like, I had nothing to do with this movie. It was done long before I was in charge. And it's like, you literally said two months ago that you were playing a part with these movies, that you gave studio notes even before it was announced that you were officially in charge of DC Studios. What a silly guy, dude. Also, it's like, oh, so your girlfriend just so happens to get all these prominent roles now and you just have nothing to do with it. You, the guy in charge, you don't have a single hand in it. And not just that, this post-credit scene sets up for something that they are not exploring. Because Black Adam introduces the Justice Society, which is like this government-issued Justice League, basically, that is run by Amanda Waller. And they're not pursuing anything in the Black Adam universe. I mean, they even introduced Henry Cavill's Superman at the end of Black Adam, and they're not doing anything with that. So for this post-credit scene, they have Amelia Harcourt and whoever Steve Aguiz's character's supposed to be. Steve Aguirre is another one of James Gunn's buddies who James Gunn, I'm sure, had no part in making sure was in this movie. Steve Aguirre is also in The Suicide Squad and Peacemaker, by the way. But yeah, it's Amelia Harcourt and Steve Aguirre's character going to find Billy slash Shazam and recruit him to the Justice Society, which he immediately agrees, thinking they're about to say Justice League. And then he realizes, oh, you're not saying Justice League, you're saying Justice Society. And he seems less enthused, but they walk away before getting a clear answer, which I thought was kind of strange. Also, Steve Agee is painfully unfunny. And Jennifer Holland is not a good actor. And you guys might be saying, oh, you're just saying that because you don't like James Gunn. No, no, no. It has nothing to do with that. Like, if she was good, I would say, all right, yeah, she's good. I may feel nepotism had a part in this role, but she at least does a good job. But no, she's not good. And it's not like it's this difficult role. But they're basically, some people are saying they're trying to make her the Nick Fury of the DC universe, but I feel like it's more of a Phil Coulson type role, which, my gosh, Phil Coulson, the most uninteresting character in the history of Marvel. I always had friends that were like, oh, you got to watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And it's like, oh, the one starring Phil Coulson? Yeah, no thanks. Because first off, he dies in the Avengers, but I had a friend that was like, no, it explains how he's still alive in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., And I almost fell asleep at the thought of them explaining that. Like just the idea of them taking a whole episode to explain why Phil Coulson's alive. I don't give a shit, dude. And I would say the same here. I don't care about Amelia Harcourt. I don't know what they're trying to cook here. But this post-credit scene really should have been taken out of the movie. And there might have been a second post-credit scene, but I did not stay for it. I saw that my phone was ringing during the first post-credit scene and it was my mom. 
So I said, okay, once this post-credit scene's over, I'll call my mom back. And so I didn't stay. So if there was a second post-credit scene, I guess we'll never know. But yeah, the scene itself was not very good. Had more jokes about Billy being attracted to Wonder Woman. And it was just overall painfully unfunny. One other thing, it's an actual plot point in the movie, but at one part, they capture Helen Mirren's character and they have her in this jail cell in the Rock of Eternity, their superhero lair. And then they just leave her completely unattended. Like they get her locked up in there. She's super powerful. And then they just walk away like, yeah, we got her. And then two minutes later, she's already gone. She already broke out of the cell. Like, are you serious? There's no way they're that dumb. And that's just, I don't know. They make these characters too dumb sometimes for the sake of humor or just sometimes to be lazy because there had to have been another way to advance the plot or a smoother way to advance the plot than, yes, we captured her. Two minutes later, she's already broken out. Like, that's just so stupid. And it's because there was something in their lair that she needs. So that was the whole thing. They're like, oh, she wanted to get locked up here. And it's like, yeah, but she broke out two minutes after you locked her up. I don't even mean like two movie minutes. I mean, literally, it was probably like two minutes. They lock her up, they walk away, and then one character walks back to give her some Skittles and she's gone. I went, oh, come on. What are we doing here? Anyway, I've rambled about this movie for far too long. I could probably talk a lot more about it. It may seem like I hated this movie, I really didn't. I thought it was mostly enjoyable. There are actually a few moments that I thought were kind of cool. One complaint I had from the first Shazam is that he never used his lightning powers, which yeah, he can shoot lightning from his hands. And the only time he did that in the first movie was to charge people's cell phones. But in this movie, he actually uses it in battle. And I said, oh, finally. And there's one point where he has this really cool anime style moment where he's fighting the big dragon at the end. And he does this supercharged punch where his eyes go all blue and he's covered in electricity, lightning and all that and throws a super punch into the dragon. And I thought that was kind of awesome. And honestly, it does land on a few emotional beats late in the movie. I just think some things are kind of undercut by silliness or awkwardness. Like the Wonder Woman scene would have been much better if it was less awkward, if it didn't look so fake and if the score was not so weird. Speaking of, this movie was composed by Christoph Beck, the same guy who composed Ant-Man Quantumania, who I noted did not do the best job with that score. I wasn't really blown away. I thought the score here was about the same. I wasn't crazy over the score of the first Shazam either, so it wasn't a huge step down, but it also wasn't a major step up either. It was kind of about the same. It was okay. There are some decent moments, but largely not great. That's all I got. I enjoyed this movie More or less, I thought it was pretty funny. I should also note they wasted Diedrich Bader in this movie. Very funny actor. He's in it for three minutes and then commits suicide. I will add no context to that at all. (laughs) I think it's funnier without context, but yeah, it's fun enough. There are some good jokes. There are some good needle drops in the movie. The action actually has some okay points. There's some good character moments. I think there's a lot that's okay in this film but I couldn't help but feel like I was watching a dead-end street at times. And I've already listed plenty of gripes about the movie. I think it needed probably another six months of work in the writer's room before they start shooting this, but that's just my opinion. It's an okay time at the movies if you're looking for nothing more than an okay time at the movies, but it's not one that I think you should rush out to see if you were on the fence about it. So those are my thoughts. 
I appreciate you guys tuning in because obviously I shared a lot of thoughts, but what can you do? Sometimes I just got to let it all out. Anyway, as I said earlier, another episode will be dropping later this week, so stay tuned for that. I look forward to chatting with you guys more then.